0: Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me again on the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. This podcast generally stays partly in sports and partly in things beyond the athletic playing field or playing court. And today, with Pat Bailey, we'll definitely touch on both. As I talked about in the last episode with Roberto Nelson, it doesn't feel right to just talk about sports, honestly, ever, but especially now. And I don't want to shy away from important conversations about racial equality of what's going on in America or anything like that. And I think Pat Bailey is a good person to talk to about this. He is the Oregon State Associate Head Coach on the baseball team. He was the interim head coach a season ago, and he's been uh, with the program since 2008 Pat Bailey has been a national champion at George Fox when he was the head coach, a national champion at Oregon State as the associate head coach. He was also given an award back in 2012, the Ethics in Coaching Award. It was given to him by the American Baseball Coaches Association. Uh, The award is given to a coach who represents the highest standards in sportsmanship, integrity, character, and ethics. And I think if there's a voice you want to hear to represent Oregon State Athletics, Pat Bailey is one of Those voices that I think most clearly represents the highest standards of what not just beaver athletics, but honestly human beings should stand for. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Pat Bailey. We'll talk a lot about coaching philosophy, some about Oregon State baseball, and then how to apply those same levels of character and those same values into what america is going through right now if you have the financial means to donate and help out at a time like this one of the places i'd recommend is food for the hungry a charity that helps both internationally and domestically with people struggling with food insecurity people struggling to get education and empowerment and you can check out more at fh.org that's food for the hungry that's fh.org all right here's pat bailey associate head coach of the oregon state baseball team on the beaver tales podcast (laughs) We'll talk about a lot of different baseball topics in 2018, but there's something that supersedes baseball any day of the week, and I think family qualifies And that, a new addition to the family. How are things going, hopefully somewhat smoothly, and how meaningful has that been for you of late?
1: I just talked to my son about 10 minutes ago on the phone, and I'll kind of give you a little background on it. We found out in January, my son's Alex Bailey and his wife's Lucy, uh, they found out that their son Colton, who was born last Wednesday at 8:13 a.m., uh, that he had—he was missing one of his chambers in his heart. He had four chambers, and so uh, when he was born, fortunately, he came out and he was breathing on his own. Uh, they had to get him into intensive care. Uh, hook him up to all the things they needed to hook him up to to make sure that he was okay. But, you know, that was the first step because they were worried that, I don't know if you ever heard the term blue babies, but if he would have came out and he would have been blue, he would have had surgery immediately. So uh, they were ready for that. And then um, Friday, he had uh, a CAT scan. He just moved around too much. They couldn't get accurate information. So they're doing, uh, they were supposed to do the CAT scan yesterday, and they had a bunch of emergency surgeries with children. So uh, they're going to do the CAT scan today, and they're going to sedate them and then we'll find out exactly what uh, the next step's going to be in the process. You know, we've had a ton of support. We have a really neat group of people that we meet with every week for Bible study. And then we have a coach's Bible study on Tuesday mornings that, We have six coaches and Michael Eisner, who works for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or Athletes in Action, excuse me, this morning that they all prayed for him too. So
0: we've had a lot of support. Just want to know what's going on. It seems like you've got a great community around you and a lot of people who love you and your family.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're very fortunate and very blessed.
0: Well, as we were talking about right before we started, I mean, there's a lot of different things about this period of time in baseball. For one, you're not playing the sport itself. Uh, you've got your own family things that are going on that are a big deal, and then even just talking on Zoom as we are right now—that's a whole different method to it. What does that look like now to still be involved in recruiting and talking with current players, but or you know, possible prospects, but in a very different method, huh?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think the biggest concern when this all happened was not being able to go out and see guys play, which is still something we need to do. But for young men that we've seen that we've offered scholarships to, that part's been going really well. So we've gotten, I think, five or six guys committed since this all started. So that certainly hasn't slowed down as much as I thought it would, but we need to get out and. And see guys play, which uh, I don't know if you're aware of, but the NCAA this, this last Wednesday extended our NCAA dead period to July 31st, which means we can't bring anybody in on recruiting visits, and we can't go out and watch anybody play until the dead period's over with. So it's everybody's in the same situation. Uh, we've spent a lot of time as a coaching staff. Uh, we've actually probably spent more time on recruiting than we would have if we hadn't, uh, if this hadn't happened, so we've we've been uh, meeting a lot in Zoom and and in the office. Uh, we've met some as well, so uh, we're just making sure that we're working on recruiting and and get organized.
0: And that's an important distinction. Of there's the players you've seen enough and you already know that you want them. It's just a question of if they'll commit or not. Versus the players where you're interested enough to watch them and evaluate them, but you're not sure if you'd offer them. So. That's gonna be a more difficult part because you can't just evaluate them over Zoom in a in a normal way. Although I'm I'm reminded of a story. I talked with Dylan Pierce recently, and he was a guy who didn't really get recruited. No OSU coaches went down to Southern Oregon to watch him at his community college. And it was a connection with you where his, I think it was the, one of the assistant coaches at Southwestern Oregon Community College knew you and connected you and, and you I think you asked him, or maybe it was Yesky, said can you send me a, a bullpen video just on your iPhone basically and send me a video? Will, will stories like that become more common where you don't see them in person, but you got to find some creative way to get a feel for how good they are.
1: Yeah. Uh, that was me that asked for that because it was in season and they played play games the same time. That, so we're not going to leave the game to go watch a recruit play. So, but they, uh, that situation was, We have 11.7 scholarships, and you can have up to 27 guys on scholarship, which I think in 2018, we had 25 or 26 of our guys on our team were on scholarship that year. So you have to have walk-ons, and I didn't like to use the word walk-on because everybody on our team is a part of our team. is every bit as important as whether they have a scholarship or don't have a scholarship, so... Dylan was recruited as a guy that didn't, didn't get scholarship money. He, he came, uh, he had to make our team, which he did, and ended up being a significant part of our program.
0: Yeah. Do you remember watching that iPhone video and trying to tell you know, how, how good of a pitcher he is just on a little cell phone video?
1: Yeah, he had a really good breaking ball, and I mean, he's an in-state guy, so it was cheaper for him to come. I'm really uh, thankful that he did because he is a great young man.
0: One of the other things I've heard you say recently is that this pandemic, this time period will separate the great players who stay focused, stay upbeat, persevere compared to the other guys who maybe don't have those qualities. How did you kind of come to that realization and, and see how important this time will separate the different qualities of players and who you might want in your program, how players develop? How did you realize that when you know, it's it's still a relatively recent time. How did you come to realize that?
1: Well, you have two choices in situations like this, especially you don't have any control over it, but you do have control over how you respond to it. And so the response has to be go to work. Uh, in spite of whatever you have uh, available to you and the opportunities that you're limited with, you still have an opportunity to work and get better. And every day you wake up, you're either getting better, you're staying the same, and if you're staying the same, or getting worse. Other people are going to pass you. So we want guys who want to pursue greatness. Uh, we don't even like it when we ask guys, how you doing? And they say good. We want them to say they're doing great. So that's just uh, kind of a benchmark of our program. We expect guys to make the most out of their God-given talent and we expect them to do things that they didn't even think they could do. And part of that is just you got to go to work. So um, I think we have – guys on our team have really good work habits and I think they've done a good job of responding to this and and Mitch when we when this all happened we almost immediately started doing zoom meetings uh four times a week we've had uh major league players on we've had our coaching staff do some of the zoom meetings we've had our nutritionist and our strength conditioning coach and our trainer do uh zoom meetings with our guys so it's been an opportunity to give them uh, an education as well, to give them more information to help them be successful. So, I then mean, we've done a lot of uh, life skills type stuff as well. So, uh, it's a great opportunity. I mean, it's one of those things, like I said, you can't control the situation, but you can control how you respond to it. And I think our response has
0: been really good. Sure. I mean, the, the pandemic may be recent to this year, but the qualities of how you handle difficulty and, and that sort of thing will always be relevant and and pertinent to to each player Um, let's talk coaching philosophy for a little bit are there stories about assistants or whether it be yourself or coach Yeski, or Ortiz or Gorton or Jenkins whoever it may be any of those guys um, where you notice them investing in a guy a lot inspiring someone I mean we focus so much on Pat Casey and for good reason but I think a lot of these assistants maybe don't get recognized as much as they should. So is there a story, it could be about yourself, could be about one of the other assistants over the recent years, that 2018 team, maybe that stands out to you of how they impacted a player or a guy who wouldn't have been who he became except for such and such assistant coach.
1: Yeah. I, you know, here's the thing I'm going to say first. I think that you hire people who are like you and I'm just going to go back to even Back when I first came on in 2007, when Case and I met, one of the questions I asked him was, I know you're the head baseball coach, and, and we, were, we we're friends already at the time. There's a bug in here, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> Looks like a little fruit fly. Anyhow, um, I asked him, I said, I know you're the head baseball coach, but I want to know what business you're really in. I think there's a lot more to baseball than just coaching baseball. And he said he was in the man-building business. We probably ended up spending... I don't know, probably close to an hour just talking about that. What does that mean to be in the man building business? Because that is a really important question that I had to ask because of what I believe in. And I think baseball for me is a, a mission field for building men of character and helping men to become, if they choose to get married, great husbands, if they choose to have children, great fathers, and be great community members and, and great examples. We have, we have a uh, saying: uh, do the right thing. So I mean, that's whether you're with your girlfriend or you're out in the community. I mean, Corvallis is a small community, and our guys are treated like rock stars in this town. So you know, you have a if you do anything wrong in this town because it is a smaller town and everybody knows who our players are, and we're going to find out about it. So we've been very fortunate. We've we've had a lot of really wonderful young men that we've had an opportunity to coach now an impact on their lives. I think we all have similar philosophies in terms of, of how to handle players and what uh, how to help them become the best version of themselves. And that started with Case as the head coach and hiring people that uh, had similar values.
0: When you use phrases like men of integrity, high character, or doing the right thing, doing the good thing, part of the nuance of that is having to define what is good? And I understand that's a very philosophical question dealing with morality and how you define that. But part of being a coach is to define that for your players and set the example, set the example for what is good, what is right. And so how do you define that? How do you define what is a man of integrity? Where does that morality or higher level of standard come from for you?
1: For me personally, I'm a committed Christian. So I'll I base a lot of my morality on what I've read in the Bible. That's for me personally. You know, Case, too, loves the Lord. So he had a background in the same area. Uh, we both have spent a lot of time reading our Bibles over the years. We're both older guys, so we've learned a lot from it. But uh, it starts with the recruiting process. You know, when you recruit a guy, the first time I talk to a guy on the phone, I go through with him what are our what's the foundation of our program, what it's about. You obviously have to recruit really talented guys, and I kind of refer to this as a house. Talent for me is the foundation. You have to recruit talent or you're not going to win and we're not going to keep our jobs. But for me, character is the rough, and the rough leagues, the foundation is going to be destroyed. So that's, that's what I mean by, by character. Um, and, you know, when I talk to individual recruits, they sometimes ask questions about what that means, and I'll go into detail and explain it to them. But I think the character piece, uh, hard work. I think hard work starts in the classroom and leaks out onto the baseball field. We have a responsibility to the parents and to the players to make sure that they get really good grades. We haven't had a team GPA below 325 since 2011, I think. It was the last time. So uh, we won the award at the World Series in 17 and 18 for having the highest team GPA. We had a 3.3 and 17 as a team and a 3.27 and 8.10. So the hard work part. And the last thing I just tell guys that's really important is you got to be selfless. If you're not selfless, this is not a culture for you to be in. This isn't about our coaching staff. This isn't about any one single player. And the legacy of this program is this program's more important than, than any individual. And the team's more important than any individual. So uh, they have to abide by everything that we set up in terms of our outline of our – I wouldn't call them rules. I'd call them more guidelines of what we believe in. Uh, standards, if you will, so they have to abide by our standards, or they're not gonna—they're just not gonna match our culture, and they're not gonna fit in.
0: When you have a a very strong foundation like that, and you're you're very grounded in what you believe, and have a lot of common ground with Pat Casey in that, when you're recruiting players, you may not always know what their you know faith background is. Some of them would have a similar one to you, some of them might not. You wouldn't limit the players you recruit to anyone. Religious background, but you may or may not have that in common. So when you're coaching them and you have that um, standard of integrity and how, you know, you're defining it for yourself, you wouldn't force that on the players, but it is what your personal inspiration is. How do you personally approach coaching when your philosophy is grounded in something very real and, and important to you for good reason? And then some of the players would share that faith with you and some don't. So how do you approach coaching? a group of players where they're all like we talked about earlier, everyone is different. So they're going to respond to your faith and not that you're beating them over the head with it, of course, in practice, but how, how if there's a story in particular, how do you approach that where the players will respond to even that element in different ways so that could get complicated sometimes? Well,
1: yeah, first of all, because I work at a public university, you can't go around
0: right. talking
1: to people about your Christian faith. So um, that's, out of that's something that, if somebody asks me a question, I'm going to I'm gonna respond honestly to them in terms of where I'm at in my life or if you have questions about Christianity or whatever. Uh, if they ask me those questions, I can talk to you about it. I think more than anything, it's through your actions. Talk's cheap, action speaks. And just the way you treat your players and, and how much you love them and care for them. And, I mean, I've got a bunch of extended sons all over the country. The guys that I've coached that still stay in touch with me and give me a call and check in and see how I'm doing and things like that. So... Uh, I would say it's more through actions and if you have to speak, speak. But, you know, I, we never recruit guys based on whether they're Christians or not. I mean, you can't. You, first of all, you can't ask that. But, you know, I, I think through developing relationships with people and stuff like that, they've asked, I've had players ask me before, are you a committed Christian or whatever? And I've said, yes. Yeah. So, um, and if that leads to more questions, I'll, I'll be willing to ask them. But, You know, I mean, things like Kyle Nobeck, his first year here, he came up to me one day and he goes, Bales, I don't even know why I'm here. And I said, Kyle, you might be here for reasons way bigger than baseball, but you're here for a reason. I really believe that you're abroad here for a reason, and you'll find that out as as you develop here in our program. And of course, Kyle knows the answer to that now, and this thing's way bigger than baseball, way bigger than baseball. And I wish more coaches saw it that way, because... I think it's one of the reasons why we win so much is because players, when we care for them, we're going to hold them accountable. We're going to be truth-tellers to them. We're going to do that in a loving way, but we're going to be truth-tellers, and we really genuinely care for our guys.
0: In, in one of the most important areas of where talk is cheap but actions speak loudly uh, in, this, in this day, and, and honestly in the last couple of weeks, um, have been especially important in America, and I saw you know a tweet you put out acknowledging some really tense times in America for a lot of reasons of protests and, and police brutality, racial injustice, and a lot of things that, like you said, actions speak so loudly. And so it, it would feel almost disrespectful to just talk about sports at a time like this and not acknowledge something that that transcends sports and is more important. And so There's no right words to say. And even if we did have the right ones, I don't expect you to have all the right words. And after all, it wouldn't even matter that much because talk is not the most important thing. But what is your takeaway on what maybe what actions would speak the loudest at a time like this to both people of minority or majority cultures and how you feel Americans need to respond at at a time like this?
1: Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you, what that police officer did was just downright evil. And for those other three guys to sit there and watch and not doing about it is evil. I mean, it's just no other way of putting it. A police officer, I think he had seventeen prior incidences uh that were reported. I don't get how he kept his job. But, you know, it's past that now. Uh what happened is really unfortunate. And uh, you know, I, did, I just think that uh, you know, just a reminder, I mean I, I've been around since I remember rioting in 68 and Kent State and all the stuff that was going on back then uh when the civil rights movement was really going on I mean I was old enough to remember President Kennedy getting shot and his brother Robert getting shot and Martin Luther King getting shot so I grew up in that era and um it's unfortunate it's part of I mean between you and me I think it's just the part of uh, evil man um that stuff like this is still going on it's really sad and I have some really good friends who are individuals of color. I mean, Eric Eli and I are really close. Um, a man that works in the women's basketball program, and, and we uh, we had Bible study with Eric and his wife and five other individuals, or five other families last night, and we spent quite a bit of time talking about it. And then we had a coach's Bible study this morning at seven thirty. And when we're going to go through our first chapter of Philippians, we end up talking, spending the whole time talking about that and, and praying as a group about it. So uh, I think the only way that this is going to change is if people just love people unconditionally and they accept them for who they are. And I know it's a cliche, but we all bleed the same blood. It's all red. I mean, it's just, it, I, I don't understand it but I, I think it's because I know that we're supposed to unconditionally love everyone. So, um, it's sad, it's unfortunate, but it's also part of just the evilness that's going on in our society That
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate those words. And it's encouraging to hear the conversations you've had and discussions about it, really wrestling with it and and acknowledging the truth and not numbing it or, or pushing it away. So I appreciate that. Um, I'll come back if you've got time to some questions more particular about 2018, but I want to finish this part of the conversation more about your philosophy and, and coaching and Oregon State more in general of one of the questions that's been really fun to talk about with the players who are on that national championship team is their takeaways from reaching a super high level of success of anybody can watch a national championship happen on TV and they can see the dog pile and they can see the elation and happiness and joy on those players' faces as they win the national championship, but you don't see what they learned from that, how happy they were three months later, what they felt six months later. And so what I've been able to ask guys is what's something about winning a national championship that people don't realize? Did it did it give you that feeling of fulfillment that you expected? Did it teach you something else? Was there some takeaway? Um, so what about you as as a coach and, and seeing how the players responded to it? Were there any lessons that you took away from winning a national championship and what that meant? If there were any surprises or what the players learned, because not everyone wins a national championship and gets to learn that lesson firsthand. So, what about you?
1: Well, for me personally, as a part of a state championship in 1995 when I was at Westland, uh, we won a national championship as a head coach at George Fox, and then I've been in the World Series three times here at State, and we won in 18. So, I—it's crazy how fortunate how Blessed I've been during my coaching career, and and so that part. If you're just coaching to win national championships, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you're not doing it to build men of character, you're missing the point of why you should be coaching. Uh, the national championship for me is just a byproduct of what we did, and honestly, the journey part of it, and just seeing those guys develop as a team and how much they really cared uh, for each other and how much they loved one another. That part of it was to me, it was even bigger than the national championship itself. The national championship was just a culmination of uh, seeing the guys develop as a team and as a, a group of brothers who really cared about one another. And and so that part, just the journey itself, was just really amazing to be a part of.
0: Well, I hope you've gotten a taste for what Pat Bailey brings to the table as a leader and, and a man in that Oregon State baseball program and I'm appreciative of handling a question I didn't even tell him I was going to ask about racial tensions or what's going on in this country. But he rolled with it and, and gave an answer that was clearly well thought out and put some thought into. And that's encouraging to see of the conversations he's having and what he had to say. And I hope to have similarly Meaningful conversations and I hope you know you give me some feedback and whatever you want to hear and what sort of questions you want to be asked on this podcast. That's the bulk of the conversation I'll use on this episode. There is a whole nother part of the conversation I had with Pat Bailey that I'm not putting on this segment. I'm saving it exclusively for the documentary I'm producing on that 2018 Beaver Baseball Squad. So you'll have to listen to that documentary to catch the rest of this conversation. But I will include a bit of a teaser, one or two uh, questions I asked him later on about that 2018 postseason. We start with Game 2 against Arkansas, if you remember the College World Series Finals, where Caden Grenier had the foul ball and then hit a single. Now the game's tied against Arkansas in an elimination game, and Trevor Larnick stepped to the plate. The game was already tied in the top of the ninth inning, and Trevor Larnick blasted one over the right field wall. So I asked Pat Bailey, who's part of his coaching duties, is on the outfielders and on hitting, Trevor Larnick's the right fielder, and he was at the plate. So Pat Bailey had a keen eye on what Trevor Larnick was going to do at the plate. So here's Pat Bailey on that situation from Omaha in 2018.
1: Well, I think tying the game up got us to relax. That was the first thing that had to happen. Caden getting ahead after a situation where the ball wasn't caught was huge. And I, and I think, you know, at that point, whoever's up the plate, the game's tied. If we don't score, we're still going to go another, at least, past that half inning of them hit and and into the next inning have another opportunity. So, And Trevor is a great hitter, and and he got a pitch in his zone, and and he didn't miss it. So um, when he hit the home run, that was, out of my coaching career, that's without a doubt the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. Just if you just picked one moment of something happening, that would have to be that moment. Um, Just how quickly the table turned in that eighth inning so our top of the ninth excuse me so yeah it was it was an amazing moment uh something i'm never going to forget and uh yeah just trevor knew he was going to get a fastball um we had done a lot of scouting information ahead of time on their team and knew that he was primarily a fastball guy so uh, we were sitting fastballs all of our guys at bats where they were sitting fastballs so he just got a pitch he could hit and he didn't miss it and the rest is history.
0: Last kind of thing or two is uh, more of a general question. There's a lot of moments that we see on television, I know, to ask about them because they were obviously big moments, but being behind the scenes, seeing the locker room, seeing the the coaching speeches before and after games, seeing the plays firsthand, were there any other moments that stand out most vividly to you that get forgotten, that, that maybe uh, were behind the scenes so the TV cameras didn't catch them. Is there anything else that uh, deserves attention from Omaha or that postseason?
1: I just remember when we played Washington uh, we had a, what about a three and a half hour rain delay. I think it was three and a half hours and just the calmness in our locker room. guys were, they play a game called Mafia. I, I still don't understand the game but they have a lot of fun playing it and we had guys playing Hangman and uh, just how loose the locker room was and uh, con- you could just tell there was an air of confidence that uh, good things were going to happen when we came out of that rain delay. And the second thing I remember after the rain delay is Kyle Novak's home run because uh, Kyle's from the Seattle area. So that was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, these are all great memories. I appreciate how you're coaching the guys and the work you've done at Oregon State and in the community. So I appreciate your time, coach. And thanks for talking with me.
1: Absolutely bad. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and, and have a great day.
0: Well, my thanks to Pat Bailey for joining me on the podcast and giving me his open thoughts and and feelings about what's going on, both with the baseball program and this country in general. I hope that you feel open to giving me feedback on this podcast and listening to more episodes as I hope to give you an inside look into what Oregon State is doing and some of the voices that have been most impactful into this university. We'll also hear from Dylan Pierce coming up. I mentioned him in this conversation with Pat Bailey. I feel bad for Dylan because I interviewed him like a month ago and I've been meaning to release his episode. There's been so many other conversations that have needed to kind of come first because we do talk about more relevant issues in America today. And and I talked with Dylan a whole month ago and so I'll be releasing his episode soon. He does have his own interesting story about going to a community college and not being recruited and then going to the College World Series with Oregon State. So that episode Will come out uh, soon as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Hope to talk to you again soon.